Are you ready to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling author Steph Green, for the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast, where we're going to explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hello my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Rage Against the Manuscript, the podcast for self-publishers who want to do all the things. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) I just forgot my own tagline. (laughs) I am your host, Steph Green, and I, as you can tell, I'm having a lot of fun here in the the office um, (laughs) doing these podcasts and trying to remember what the hell is going on with anything? I mean, what even, what day even is it anymore? You know, what year even is it anymore? I don't know. I don't know. So, anyway, today, I do know what we're talking about. Today, I'm going to be talking about how I plan a book series, especially as a person who doesn't like to plan things. So, as you may know, if you have listened to a lot of my content, I am what's referred to as a pantser or a gardener or a skeleton drafter or a discovery writer. So I don't do outlines for my books. I don't do that kind of stuff. Um, I just sit down basically and I start writing. And there's, there's a bit more to my process than that. And if you want to learn more about it, and especially, especially if this is you and you want to kind of get more in depth about the you're learning about how to kind of trust your process and sort of get more done as a panther or a gardener, then I highly recommend that you check out the episode about skeleton drafting and you check out my skeleton drafting course and all my articles about skeleton drafting and just anything about skeleton drafting because that changed my life. So anyway, so as you may know, I'm a bit of a non-planner. And even in terms of my sort of strategy, I tend to be quite sort of fluid with this. So what I tend to do is I have the next three months of my life, of my self-publishing life, pretty set in stone. And then beyond that, it's who the fuck knows. Um, I do have sort of vague ideas, but I change things a lot on a whim. Um, So that's... That's kind of me. But so because of that, a lot of people have been asking me. I did a big survey in the newsletter and on the Facebook page. And I said, you know, what questions do you guys have for me that you're interested in me answering on the podcast? And this one's come up a few times. So I thought that we would talk about it. And that is, how do I write a series, especially as a a non-planner? And when I hear this question, I think people aren't simply talking about how do you write a series in a craft sense, because the answer is you sit down at the keyboard and bleed until all the words come out. Um, I think they're more asking about how do you kind of articulate a series, how do you strategize a series, how do you package a series, and how do you kind of come up with all the details that you need to produce a cohesive, um, interesting, exciting series for readers if you don't plan ahead. So I thought I would talk a little bit about this, and what I've kind of realized as I have put together this episode is that basically I do do 
planning for series but it's just that I sort of do it I don't do it before I start writing I start writing and then I plan as I go and so I'm hoping that whether you are a planner or a non-planner you will find this sort of how I do things relatively useful in that you can take the things that I do and reorder them in your process as you need them so that's kind of yeah that's kind of how we go so I thought in order to talk about um, planning a series, I thought I would, it would be good to give you a solid example using one of my series. Now, just a warning, if you are a person who also reads my books, that this episode is going to contain some spoilers, some pretty major ones, for the, Sto the Stonehurst Prep series, which is the series we're going to be using as the example. So if you are halfway through that series or you haven't started that series and you were thinking about starting it I would just skip this episode because it's gonna gonna spoil all the things for you so so we're talking about Stonehurst Prep series and the first book in that series is My Stolen Life and I thought I'd tell you a little bit about sort of how the series came about and then we're gonna kind of go down the list and talk about all the different things that I did for it um, and actually I guess before we start with that I'll tell you that this series is probably my second most successful series of all time it's not when I think about sort of the success or the failure of books I tend to not think about the individual books but I tend to look at the series as a unit and this is not technically technically I think it's my third best-selling series in terms of which series have brought in the most money However, the second most selling series has more books in it, and it's much older. So this one has the series has earned more recently, um, and it's currently, if I look month to month now, it's the series that's pulling in either the most income or the second most income, pretty regularly every month. So it's a really good workhorse series. Um, this is a $100,000 series, um, so that's roughly how much I've earned from these four books um, since, it came, since it came out. So, yay! Um, and it is also a complete series um, with four books in it. It's contemporary romance, um, and I, when I sort of started the series, I started immediately thinking <laughs> about how I could create a world that could be expanded into other books. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. So, Stonehurst Prep. Basically, I was never supposed to write this series at all. I always thought I was a paranormal romance writer. I thought I could never write a book that didn't have a any kind of paranormal element whatsoever. I thought I was just not interested. And yet... It's funny how when you say, I'm never going to do that, your brain goes, well, <laughs> challenge accepted. So, one day, I think I was falling asleep, and I had recently read an article about um, some sort of anarchists in London who were squatting in this old mansion, and I think it was owned by like a... Um, Saudi Arabian prince or something and so it's this massive mansion in the middle of London and he never this guy owns it but he never visits it so it's completely empty and this group of anarchists moved in and they were kind of having these like crazy parties there but they were also kind of like doing up the place and I just something about the story I just loved 
And so I, I wanted to write a story about a girl who um, who squatted in a mansion. And <laughs> I wanted to write the reverse harem romance about a girl who's squatting in a mansion. And that was where the idea came from. And just, I, I don't know, it's just falling asleep. And in my head, just little details of this kind of idea kind of started to come to me. Um, and I ended up with my, my heroine, um, whose nickname is Claws. Um, and in the first book you find out that her name is Mackenzie, and we'll talk a bit about why that's why that's a thing later. Um, and so I wanted her to have like a complete... Uh, yeah. Um, so in my head originally this book was set in London. But when I went online to research laws around squatting, because I remember reading in the article that if you squat in a place long enough, you can actually end up owning the place. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted her to be squatting in this house and trying to live there for long enough, trying to hold on to this place for long enough that she could take over the ownership of it. And I basically wanted the, the three love interests that she had to try and thwart her in some way, at least in the beginning. And so I was originally going to sit in London, but I discovered I couldn't sit it in London because they had changed all their squatting laws, um, largely I think as a result of these very specific anarchists. So I went hunting around and looking for a location where if you squatted in a house for long enough, you could end up owning the house. And I came up with California, where the squatting laws actually allow you to potentially own the property after five years. And so I, I thought, well, this is brilliant. And I'd actually never intended to write sort of a lot of books that are um, set in America because I've never really, I spent three days in America um, and when I was 16. So I don't have like the best sort of on the ground knowledge. Um, but this book needed to be set there. And I was going to set it in LA. Um, but then I I didn't want to, I wanted to have a fake city. So I invented a fake city quite close to LA. It's basically, it's basically, the idea is basically it's LA, but not LA. Um, and so that's called Emerald Beach. And so I wanted the character to have, I wanted her to have like the most sort of valley girl name you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and originally she was called Madison, but there was another like really big book that came out the same similar time with uh, Madison as the main character and I thought no I'll just change it so um, she was she was became McKenzie um, and I started you know but I where the idea to make it kind of a gang thing came from but I suddenly it just suddenly occurred to me that actually she is um, there's much more to this character than meets the eye and this is one of the things you'll learn in this episode, that often when I'm thinking about a new series, and I'm in this stage where I've got this sort of idea, this, this kind of explosion of this idea, but I don't have a lot of cohesive details yet, one of the things I'm actually thinking about is what are the cliffhangers going to be for this series? And I had this, this vision in my head that the, the, one of the, the first cliffhanger was going to be that at the end of the book, end of book one, 
um, one of the boys was going to find a locket of Mackenzie's and he was going to open it um, or something, something like this. This is what ended up happening and I don't know if this is where the idea began but the, the basic idea was that the guy would find out that she could not possibly be Mackenzie Malloy. So I the way I did the way it ended up happening was that he found this locket that she always wore and he which had pictures of her parents in it. And so in order for this to work, this guy had to know the old it had to know Mackenzie Malloy and know her parents. Um, which meant that she had to have been a real person who disappeared and then reappeared again. <laughs> it gets really complicated. So he um, he sees his locket and, and it um, gets stood on and it gets broken. And he picks it up and he sees that the pictures inside are not the Malloys that he knew. And she cannot possibly be Mackenzie Malloy and the very last words in the book is are the very last words in the book are you're not Mackenzie Malloy who the fuck are you and that's what I wanted as the cliffhanger on book one and I had this idea that she was sitting in this she was living in this house she was really lonely and there was a couple of things that came to me one was that if I knew if I was living in a house a big mansion and I was really lonely the thing that I would turn to was music um, and so I wanted her to turn it to a particular artist. And then I wanted, when she had to go to school, basically the cops showed up and they said, look, um, we, you, you have to be enrolled in the school. And if you're not enrolled in the school, we're going to you know, come over here and have a talk to you. And she doesn't want people to be doing that because she wants to keep his house. So she says, no, 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 I'm totally, totally Mackenzie Malloy and I'm totally going to the school. So she enrolls in the school. And I wanted the musician who had kept her company all these long, lonely years in this house, I wanted him to be at the school and I wanted him to be one of the love interests. So that was an that was a, a concept that I had. And the other thing was that I wanted, I thought if she was there, I thought it would be really fun if she had like a little kitten, a little cat that kept her company. So as soon as I came up with that, that gave me the ending of the, of the of the whole series. I had no idea what was going to go on in the middle, but that gave me the ending. Was that I wanted in the end? I wanted her. It's going to be a happily ever after, because it's a romance book. So we always have to have the ending that we um, that suits our readers, that that, that suits the genre, um, and that the readers are wanting, which is the happily ever after in romance. So I know that it's going to have a happily ever after. And I knew that in the end, I wanted her to keep this house. I didn't quite know how that was, what that was going to look like, but I wanted her to keep this house. And I thought, what I want her to do is I want her to turn it into a cat sanctuary. As I want the final scene to be the whole house filled with cats. <laughs> and... I thought that was like a wonderful, like a really wonderful, fun, light, uplifting kind of um, ending that sort of, that, that, that kind of mirrored the first, the kind of early scenes in the book. Um, which is quite hilarious because the series turned out much darker than I sort of intended. But anyway, so if you know a lot about me and you know about my skeleton drafting method, you know that basically I'm at the point now where I can start writing the book. I have 
I have this sense of the the theme of the book. I have a sense of the hook of the book. Um, I have a sense of our main character, and I know what the ending's going to be. I, I actually know what the ending for book one is going to be, and I also know what book what the ending for the entire series is going to be. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know what they are. And this gives me enough to kind of start writing. So this is probably the point where I actually start kind of, I start the skeleton draft. Um, not really, that's not really what I want to talk about in this episode too much. I want to talk about sort of the other things around which, you know, to, to, to plan a successful series. So I'm at a point now where I'm probably starting to write the series, but I'm also doing this other kind of stuff on the side. So as I said, I'm, I'm writing. Um, but what I'm also doing is I'm planning the cliffhangers. I'm starting to plan the cliffhangers in the series. So I've got book one, and I might be thinking about about future about other books in the series. Um, I'm also planning the world stuff in this book. And I tend to do this as I need it. Um, sometimes with books like this, especially when it's a book one, I'm sort of doing it slightly before I need it because I want this sort of cohesive thing that has to work across a, a, a big world. And for these books, I basically had decided at some point, can't remember when, that this was going to be a gang-related series that... Um, Okay, actually, my husband <laughs> gave me the idea because he'd read the beginning and he said it was really boring. And he said you should begin by like burying her alive. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I could do that. Um, and basically, it turns out that our our heroine, whose nickname is Claus, her real name is Claudia, and she is the daughter of a crime lord who was murdered by his brother. And when I started thinking about this, I started thinking about basically. I wanted to write a sort of gang, like a quite a dark kind of almost bully romance style young adult book. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to use the Italian mafia. I didn't want to use the Russian bratva. I didn't want to use any of the sort of... I wanted to make up my own crime world. And I think the reason for this is, is that I'm a romance writer and I write books about hot dudes, basically. And so if I don't find them, I don't personally find them at least vaguely hot, then it's going to be really hard to write the book. And the truth is that I don't really find mafia guys that I don't, I, I don't find the concept of organised crime very hot. It's certainly not in the real world. I think it just sits too close to stuff that I don't find attractive at all um, to be something that I want to write about but it, but then I thought if I could make up my own then I could just have a lot of fun with it and that's what I decided to do and when I was thinking about this I thought well what would Steph do if she was making up her own crime world and I thought well what I would do is I would base it on classical Rome of, you know, of course it would. It would be like Imperial Rome. So I called to the crime world the Triumvirate, and this city is basically run by three families, and they're all named after famous Roman senators or emperors. Um, there's um, the Triumvirate, which was obviously um, a real thing. Um, 
during Augustus's um, Mark Antony's kind of shebang, um, I thought, well, I'm, you know, if I'm going that far, I might as well include like sort of Roman style punishments and things because you know in in crime books you often have to um, dispose of people. So I thought, well, I'll start disposing of people in very Roman ways. Um, there's usually like underground clubs and things like that. So I thought, well, fuck it, I'll have an underground club which is the Colosseum. And I thought, well, I need a round, um, I need a round building to have this Colosseum in. And then I realised, went with my husband to visit a um, old locomotive shed which was a big round um roundhouse shed with a um turntable in the middle i thought oh my god this is perfect this is what i'm gonna do so <laughs> so the coliseum is actually this like abandoned roundhouse that they've turned into this arena for illegal fighting and um punishing criminals who've wronged them and Basically, Claudia is supposed to inherit this empire, but her uncle is still in charge, so she has to hide in this house, and it's just, oh, it's just brilliant. Um, and so I came up with all, with sort of the world things related to the triumvirate, you know, the names of the families, their symbols, um, I sort of read up a little bit on um, Imperial Rome and, and the Colosseum and some of the things I wanted to include, um, and I was doing that while I was also writing the books. So planning the world stuff that you need to kind of get a grip on the series is, I think, you know, is important in the beginning. But, you know, wherever you do that in the process, some people can't actually continue on with the series. They can't actually start the writing until all that world stuff is nailed down. That's not me, but it might be you. Now, the big thing that I'm also thinking about at this time is the packaging of the series. Um, and partly because I'm quite, I think, quite commercially, I think when I, you know, when I'm coming up with concepts and things, so when I, when I even come up with the idea, I'm starting to think about in my head, what is this actually going to look like as a completed product? Um, and so this means that I'm thinking about how many books are in the series? I'm thinking about the titles of the books. I, I always like to have like a pattern for my book titles. So I'm thinking about titles for the books. I'm thinking about um, what the covers are going to look like. I'm thinking about the pricing. I'm thinking about where the hell can I actually fit these books in my schedule. Um, I'm thinking about all these kind of things. Um, I'm starting to look, I'm looking on Amazon, I'm looking at other books that kind of sound similar, I'm thinking, you know, who, like, kind of whose covers are sort of, should I be kind of inspired by, um, who am I going to try and be, who am I going to try and target in my advertising, I'm thinking about all these things. So the two sort of, the sort of big things that I'm sort of really focused on at this stage is um, how many books are going to be in the series, and this is not hard for me. This is not a hard number. I'm frequently adding more books. Um, Stonehurst Prep was originally going to be three books, but about halfway through book three, I think. Yeah, I think it was halfway through book, through, through book three. I realised I needed a fourth book, um, so I added a fourth book. And this 
comes to me together with planning the book titles. And often when I plan the book titles, I'll plan more titles than I need, um, just in case I'm going to add extra books. Um, and so, um, so yeah. So when I did Stonehurst Prep, I had a uh, I had the, the title for book one immediately came to me, which was My Stolen Life. And so I kept that pattern for the other books. The second book was My Secret Heart. The third book was My Broken Crown. And the fourth book was My Savage Empire. Um, and so it followed this, um, this kind of pattern. And I, I like that. I like, I like the way that looks. I like the way that feels. So that's what I do. Um, and then the cover designer, who was amazing, he incorporated those elements into the covers. So My Stolen Life, it had this, there was a lot of kind of like pinks going on in the covers. And it had this pink um, lock that he'd drawn. Um, it's kind of like, it looks like a little bit of a scribble, kind of like a um, graffiti almost style. He'd drawn this lock. Um, which kind of fit with the, the thing. And then the next cover it was My Secret Heart, so it had it had the same colour, but it had a heart shape. And then the next one was um, My Broken Crown, so it had the crown. And then the final one was My Savage Empire, and it had kind of like a Romanesque little temple, but just like real rough. Um, it was awesome. So thinking about the packaging, and I come up with all of this stuff like, I may have written 3,000 words or something, and I'm already, this is already what I'm thinking of. I'm already commissioning the cover designer to make the covers. Um, and I tend to commission the covers all at one time, as much as I know. Um, so often I'll say, look, it's going to be, when I commission the designer, I say, look, it's going to be three covers in the series, but I may add more covers later. Um, and that just lets them know, um, so they don't say, use. Um, models for the covers that only have like three positions they you know make sure that they've got options if the series continues um yeah so i do that um and then the next thing that i do that i think is really really important especially doing this early um is i actually do this before i usually before i write a single word on the series is that i write the blurb I write the blurb for book one. And the reason I do this, there's a couple of reasons. One is that I find it way easier to write blurbs before I've actually written the books. And I think this is because I'm not weighed down by all this like plot and character development and stuff that I've just finished writing. All I'm focused on when I'm writing the blurb, because I haven't written any of the book yet, is this hook. And this hook has what has got me as the writer excited about the book. So I'm hoping that the hook is what is going to get the reader excited about the book. So I'm trying to convey that hook as much as possible in the blurb. And I find that much easier to do when I haven't written the book yet. So that's one reason. And the second reason is that I find that if the book isn't going to work as a blurb, then it's not going to work as a book. If I can't make the blurb something that people want to buy, then I shouldn't be writing the book. So for that reason, I write the blurb, and then what I tend to do is go and talk to, just go and ask some writer friends that I trust, and I say, look, 
how does this sound? And these are the kind of people that will tell me, um, you know, this sounds fine, but that's not, you know, that, that's a bit, it's a bit, you know, odd. It's not gonna, it's not gonna excite people. Or like, oh my god, you should write this book right now. And so I did that with my stolen life. And when I, I basically got up in the morning after I'd had the idea, and I sat down and wrote the blurb, and I sent it off to people, and they're like, oh my god, write this book. Um, so I do write the blurb, and I thought that for context, what I would do now is actually read the blurb out to you. And it changed a little bit when, from when I first wrote it, but not heaps. So I thought I'd read this out to you. So it goes. Pissed. I have a secret. Are you ready? I'm Mackenzie Malloy, and everyone thinks they know who I am. Five years ago, I disappeared. No one has seen me or my family outside the walls of Malloy Manor since, but now I'm coming to reclaim my throne. The Ice Queen of Stonehurst Prep is back. Standing between me and my everything, three things can bring me down. The sweet guy who wants answers from his former friend. The rock god who wants to fuck me. The king who'll crush me before giving up his crown. They think they can ruin me, wreck it all, but I won't let them. I'm not the Mackenzie Eli used to know. Hot boys and rock gods like Gabriel won't win me over. And just like Noah, I'll kill to keep my crown. I'm just a poor little rich girl with the stolen life. I'm here to tear down three princes before they destroy me. So yeah, that is the blurb. Um... And yeah, that um, did quite well. So it still does. So that's nice. <laughs> um, and I guess the other things that I do um, is about this time, because I'm thinking about all this kind of world stuff for the series, is that I create a second file. So I have my main file, which is where I'm writing the book. I tend to have another file, which is where I've tutored around with the blurb. And then I have another file, which is kind of the notes file. And I have... A lot of notes in there and I'm making notes as I go as I write the books for things that are going to go in the future books. I talk about this a lot in my skeleton drafting course we call this the, the Chekhov's arsenal where you're writing a, a list and you're adding items to the list um, of things that you've kind of read hearings and kind of plot elements and character elements that you've dropped into the book and you want to pick them up later. Um, so I do that. And then I guess the, the, the next thing that I'm thinking about is, I, you know, I think about this series in terms of the publishing, so I'm hoping to get these, um, all these um, exciting <laughs> covers back from the cover designer. And then once that's, once they're in my hot little hands, I can start sort of putting together the, um, the publishing schedule and the kind of marketing plan. And one part of that is, you know, I like to release book one with book one and then book two on pre-order. So I have to make sure that I put up book two for pre-order before I do book one because I need the link um, for the back of it. So I could put those books up. I think about how long do I actually want to pre-order on book one, how long do I want to pre-order on book two, etc, etc. For some series, I'll actually put up all the books for pre-order at once, so people can see that it's going to be this many books long, and they know vaguely when to expect the books. 
And what you'll see if you do that is you'll see you'll get quite a lot of pre-orders. Not heaps of people, but certainly there's a certain number of your awesome fans who will just pre-order all the books, even if they've never read one. They'll just get all of them at once. They'll be like, eh, it's a Stephanie Holmes book. I'm going to love it. So they're awesome. Um, so, so yay. Uh, now Stonehurst was interesting in that I wasn't supposed to be writing it. Um, I was actually supposed to be writing the second Mandalay book. And so I delayed that book in order to put this book out. And I didn't have time in my schedule. So I had to, I published book one. And then I had book two on pre-order for like six months. Which is a long time for me for pre-orders. And this series, they, the, all the books in the series were about five to six months apart. And honestly, it was, in some ways it was good because it gave lots of time to, to put up lots of pre-orders. So the months when the pre-orders all hit, when the new releases hit, they were very nice months. Um, but I think the series might have gained more momentum with contemporary romance readers if I had been able to release them closer together, more like two or three months. But it's, it's hard to know. It's, it's really hard to know. So, yeah. Um, so, I hope you found this useful. Um, it's been really interesting to kind of dive into the, the thinking about the different things that I think about when I'm working on a series. Um, I hope this has kind of answered the question, but I, I strongly suspect that I'm actually going to be kind of introducing more questions. Um, and I'd love to love you to head on over to the Rage Against the Manuscript Facebook group and kind of talk about series and how you do things and you know, any questions that you have I'm happy to do a follow-up episode I kind of get into this in, in heaps of depth but that's all for me for the moment um, I, it's been heaps of fun I can't wait to have you back again next week um, for another episode of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast that's all from me, happy publishing